0: midst of this little interlude worship series about martyrdom. And as we mentioned last week, I know that that sounds morbid. I recognize that. But as we discovered last week, and I believe that the Lord will show us today, the martyrs continue to have something wonderful to say to us. And so today our martyr is Joan of Arc. And Joan of Arc is included for a couple reasons. One, she's from the medieval church when martyrdom and sainthood kind of went hand in hand, and people were able to portray that not only in religious art, but in the media at the time and their access to plays and um, the songs that they sang, but also because I wanted us to have a female. I thought it would be important that we show some of the diversity among the saints, and so we went with Joan of Arc. It wasn't in my mind over six months ago when we worship planned that we would do Joan of Arc, who was known for her military success on Veterans Day. However, God is good, and here we are. So I look forward to exploring this with you, and I want you to join me in a moment of prayer, if you will. Lord, as we prepare ourselves to be open to what you say to us this day, we recognize that many of us struggle with what it is to be a Christian in this world. That we want to believe in you and we want to find ways in which to enliven our faith. And so we pray that this time with you and in remembrance of your saints, and especially those who were martyred for their faith, might not only inspire us, but guide and direct us to how we can live out our faith without fear, without intimidation, and never wavering from our belief, our faith, and our trust in you. May this be done, for it is your will and the way of all people who claim Christ as their Lord and Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Joan or as she was known in her native French tongue, Jeanne d'Arc. Joan of Arc is her Anglicanized English name. Grew up in a small town in France in the early 1400s. And there she was like most commoners. She lived on a small farm that her father rented so that he could afford to plant and yield crops and sell them to support the family. He also had some secondary work as a bureaucrat, um, taking in some of the taxes, for the crown and for the local government officials. And so they lived a meager existence. And like most women, her place was at home, and she was illiterate. She could neither read nor write. At the time, that was not necessary either to be a good Roman Catholic, as Joan was, because there was not access to the scriptures. It would be over 100 years later before Martin Luther, a German priest in the Roman Catholic Church, would list among his 95 encouraging complaints that the scriptures should be presented in the native tongues of the people. And so Joan grew up at a time when not only could she not read scripture, but even if she had been able to read, she would not have had access to the Bible. Joan could never have truly known that she was a living embodiment and fulfillment of the text that I read you just a moment ago that when Joel was prophesying about the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon diverse and different peoples, that he was, in fact, naming the authority and the power by which Joan would come to live out her faith. When she was 13, Joan started to hear God speaking to her. She had visions, and she recounted that three different saints came to her and spoke to her, and not only called her up into action, but helped to guide her in that path. The first was Saint Michael the archangel. Now, few people would even think to mention Saint Michael speaking to them in those days, because one, if you wanted somebody to come and to announce to you that God had a plan for you, you wouldn't have plucked Saint Michael. You would have picked Gabriel. You would have picked Gabriel, Because we all know who shows up on Christmas Eve and tells us that Mary's going to have a baby. But instead, St. Michael appeared to her. And it was most apropos because she was going to be called into, of all things, military leadership. She was going to be called to be a great general on behalf of her people of France, her would-be King Charles VIII, and for the glory of God, that that was what was going to happen And so St. Michael appeared to her. She was also visited by St. Catherine and St. Margaret, both of whom were martyred as unmarried young women who refused to get married and give up of their virginity. And so inspired by this, Joan also took a vow of celibacy that she would not get married and she would not give up herself in that way. Well, this was surely countercultural, for a woman was supposed to grow up, get married, and bear children, and continue the line. And so Joan was already diverging from what was normal. She was already becoming different and thus deviant. But then she went completely off the rails. If she was being called to be a military leader, then she had to be prepared to go to war. And long, flowing hair was not advisable in those days. So she cut her hair off. Depictions and, and the descriptions that we have of Joan say that she had what was very stylish at the time, a bowl cut, just like most of the male knights in the realm. That she had that haircut, short black hair. And that she took to wearing pants. Short hair and pants, deviant. I don't know why anybody would do that. And it was disconcerting to people. She was supposed to be feminine, because you can't be feminine with short hair. And you can't be feminine if you're wearing pants. And so they immediately started to have grumblings about her. Well, she would not let that stop her. Her family could not stop her. She actually went to visit Charles VIII. Now, Charles was not actively on the throne. In fact, he had been denied his coronation because at the time, the British Empire was in state in France. They had actually settled in French territory, and now there were parts of France that were under British rule And if that were not bad enough, there were two factions in France fighting for control of their own country. Not only Charles, but also one of his cousins was fighting to be recognized as the heir to the throne. And so there was all kinds of dissonance there. There was all sorts of angst and opposition. And into this walks young Joan. And she walks up and demands an audience with Charles. And she is given a private audience. And together, he would later recount that she knew things about him that no one could know. There was no way that this young peasant knew these things about him. Only God could have told her those things. And so God channeled wisdom and knowledge through Joan and convinced a would-be monarch to put all of his faith and his resources and his military into her hands. A teenager. And she started to do things radically different than how things had been done before. Over and over again, the French forces had battled against the British and it had been a standard form of war. And so they were not successful for the British were better outfitted and actually had better numbers. But Joan started to do something different. She didn't place all of her faith in foot soldiers. Instead, she started using artillery and she started a radically aggressive campaign. She started to be the aggressor in their meetings. And as she did that, she won. Time and time again, she won. She broke through sieges. She was able to bring the victory. She was able to fulfill what she thought the call was. Ultimately, she would be successful, for Charles was coronated, and she was there. Now, if you go and you Google this, you'll see that a lot of the historical depictions of Joan have her with long hair, because even posthumously, they could not stand to cut her hair. But, and she had ironically longer hair than i have but she had short hair and she's shown in her military garb now some of them they can't even stand to show her in pants so she's wearing like armor up here and then a skirt down below because even then they were like we like her but we don't like her that much so joan succeeds She was such a force and such an incredible example of French Catholic faith that she remains, even to this day, the patron saint of France. But despite her success, despite the thousands and thousands of people that would come to be not only her supporters but her followers, she made enemies of a dangerous sort. Like Jesus of Nazareth, she angered the religious establishment. Surely we cannot listen to this young girl. Surely it is not okay for her to present herself like this. Surely this is not how God would have things done. And so it was a bishop with British leanings that brought charges and held trial against Joan. And they waged such awful war against her. They accused her of being a heretic, Pinned largely on the fact that she was a crossdresser. She presented herself as a man, so therefore that was heretical. She was subverting the way God intended the genders to be divided. They also waged that she was a witch because she heard voices that couldn't possibly have actually been saints. However, what might the story have been if she had been a 13 year old boy? And so here they wanted to negate all that she had accomplished and all the good that she had brought. And the restoration of France, independent of British rule. And they charged her and they tried her and they forced her to try to recant. But Joan was so devout and so sure and clear of her faith and her call. And the fact that what she had done had been fruitful, not only for France, but for the glory of God, that she refused. And so at the tender age of 19, they burned her at the stake. They burned her at the stake because she refused after everything that she had heard and seen and accomplished, all the fruit that she bore and all the joy that she returned to her people, she would not say that she was wrong. That she was wrong to become an actual knight. To be able to wear the required uniform, to put on armor that required pants to ride a horse, to cut her hair so that it could fit in the armor and the helmet that she might be safe and successful. Joan later said, I have continued to wear the pants because while you have imprisoned me, the pants and the outfit that I wear with them actually keep me safe from molestation." But the court was so abhorrent about that that they forced her to wear a dress. Joan later recounted to her confessor priest that the first night that they made her do that, someone came in and raped her. She was persecuted not because of what she did, but who she was in doing it. And Joel cries out from the Old Testament, to tell us that that is not the way of faith. That there were those who continue to have the same conversations that burden and weigh down and stagnate the church today. People were saying things like, God's never done that before. We've never done it that way before. Or, I don't know that that will work. Or how about this one? We tried that once and it didn't work then. Those sorts of statements are antithetical to Joel. Those kinds of descriptions that things that once didn't work or things that we've never done are not possible are sinful responses to the Holy Spirit. If we truly want to be the church of Jesus Christ that is building the kingdom of God here today and now for us and for future generations, then we must eradicate from our vernacular those statements, those thoughts. And that antiquated way of confronting difference. To say, we have never done it that way before. How many people use that against Jesus when he claimed to be Christ incarnate? We tried that once and it didn't work. You mean making friends with Gentiles and allowing them to experience the grace of God. You tried that once and it didn't work. What did you do? Well, in the Old Testament, we used to kill them. I can't imagine why they didn't want to be your friends and embrace your faith. Joan reminds us that the power and the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit is not for any one gender. It is not for any one physical appearance. It is not for any one approach to the world. That God does not care about economic difference and social hierarchy. That God is willing to overcome any stratification that we as human beings create and perpetuate for our own needs, that God is willing to take anyone who will open themselves up to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and make real and lasting change in this world. Jones' story is not all about movies and spotlights. I first came to have any kind of encounter with Joan of Arc in the 80s when there was a movie called The Legend of Billy Jean. Some of you may know that movie. I almost wore my ear cuff with all the dangly stuff today. But then Andy would not like me because it interferes with my mic. But here's what I saw. In the movie, there's a young woman who is trying to save her younger brother who has been targeted and is, has been routed, and so the, the authorities think that he has committed a crime. And so they end up going on the run to try to find the proof that he will be okay. And as they're doing this, Billie Jean watches a video of Joan of Arc She's watching this movie, this depiction of her, and she's so powerfully moved by this story that she cuts her beautiful long blonde hair off and she dons this very masculine sleeveless look and she hangs this really great Billy Idol earring thing over here. And then she makes a statement. She says, we will pursue justice because fair is fair. She inspired Billie Jean and she continues to inspire people today. She inspired me through Billie Jean. And if you think that the decisions that you make as an individual Christian don't have that kind of power, then you are slandering the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. Everything that you do every kind word that you say or that you refuse to say, every act of mercy and kindness that you choose to enact or you withdraw for your own reason, every single one of these is a conduit for Jesus Christ. And you have the ability to change lives. It starts with people saying, I didn't expect that. From where did this come? And when Christians respond, it came from God above you blow minds open to the possibility that maybe this ancient faith of ours is not antiquated. Maybe our way of clinging to the cross is not about self-preservation, but transformation. You tell the world through your lives that Christ didn't just die and rise and ascend, but that Christ is here now and at work we can no longer put off building the kingdom. If we as a church, like those who persecuted Joan, constantly look back behind us and go, we've never done it that way before. Or we got something kind of like it and it didn't work. Then we are telling God, do not build your kingdom here. Do not do a new thing in the same place in the scriptures where the archangel Michael is depicted as being a triumphant military leader, overcoming the powers of darkness and hell, in that same holy book, the Holy Spirit boldly proclaimed, I am making all things new. We are those people. We are not the people who simply take our Bibles and place them on the mantle or the coffee table and think that they are done. We are the people who look to the holy text and are inspired. And we are inspired by those who, through a myriad of ways, have blessed us with their faith, their testimony, and their actions. Is God calling us to lead a military campaign? Probably not. I would hope not. I don't do well with uniforms. Instead, God is saying, When everybody looked at her and saw something so different that she couldn't possibly be right, much less successful, I used her. And if God looked at us the way we look at other people, we would dwell in darkness today. But instead, God has said to us, I have created you in my image. And many of us will spend our entire lives wrestling with what that means. And I have gifted you a piece of myself in the Holy Spirit to reside in you, that you would be powerful, that you would be prophetic, that you would be effective for the work that lays ahead. And yet time and time again, we fail to look at another human being and see the sacred worth. We deny them the dignity of being a child of God. And we wonder why they throw up their hands and walk away. Because they feel driven by our refusal to embrace what is different. They come to think that if they don't look and sound and act like everyone else, that there could not be a place for them in the pew, and there shall not be a place for them at the table. And if we allow, in even a moment of momentary weakness, for that to be the message that is proclaimed, we should get down on our knees and beg for grace from Jesus Christ. We have been given an opportunity, a call, and we have been equipped by God's own self and the Holy Spirit to move mountains and build the kingdom. here. And that is what it is about. May we do that, not just today, but every day thereafter. There is no retirement from discipleship. There is no day when we get to wash our hands and go, Here you go, youngsters, it's all you now. Our path, our building, our discipleship stops when we die and not one breath sooner. Jesus died and rose again and still worked for another 40 days. He was not done. He still had things to do and say and people to love and edify and to encourage and equip and send forth. And even Jesus came out of retirement. We cannot be those people. Our life, our discipleship will look different over the course of our lives. There will be times when we are fiery and we are verbal. There are times when we are contemplative and quiet. There will be times where we are up ahead, leading with our power and our gifts. And there are times where we will be upholding and supporting with our gifts and our prayers. But when we decide to step out of discipleship, then we are failing to live out what Christ died for what saints like Stephen and Joan gave their lives for us to have. She died at 19. It's been almost 20 years since I was 19. If my life had ended then, that would be one really sad obituary. Imagine if your life had ended. That was a year before I even accepted my call. Imagine if your life had ended at 19. Now imagine that you are going to live to 119. What is it that you want to let God accomplish through you? What is it that you are willing to do, not for your glory, but for that of God? And how can we, as your brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus Christ, our one risen Lord and Savior, help you to do that? That is what it means to be the church of of Jesus Christ we are his body but he is our heart thanks be to God in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit we pray amen thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast we hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at nine thirty a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crosayunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.